Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Well, hello everybody and welcome. This is episode number 146 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And this is kind of a special episode we have for you today. A pre-recorded interview with Christian Jacobs. Christian Jacobs is a uh, software developer and a postdoctorate student at Imperial College of London. He's done a lot of work with Fluid Dynamics and a lot of work with Python. He also happens to be a ham radio operator, and he has written code called PyQSO, which is a logging application for ham radio written in Python. And we are going to talk to Christian and get all the information you ever wanted to know about PyQSO and about Christian Jacobs. If after this interview you're interested in uh, getting in touch with Christian or just want to find out more about him, his website is christianjacobs.uk and his email address is c.jacobs10 at imperial.ac.uk. And of course, all of his contact information will be in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this interview. And uh, without further ado, our pre-recorded interview with Christian Jacobs. Imperial College London and writer of IQSO. Welcome everybody to our first, I think, ever video segment since like 2007 when we actually did this show as a video podcast, which didn't really work out that well. But our guest tonight suggested that we do this via Google Hangout, so that's what we're doing. We have uh, a few viewers who are watching, and I believe I have the Q&A module enabled here, so if anybody has any questions for our guest, uh, you Feel free to go ahead and ask them. So I guess I should introduce our guest. Our guest uh, is a man by the name of Christian Jacobs, who's a very, very smart individual from London in the UK. And I'll uh, read some of his uh, accolades here. Well, actually, you know what? I can't read some of your accolades. So guess what? You can you can tell us about all your accolades because um, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I I read the, your you know your brag tape there uh, on your website christianjacobs.uk and. Uh, you are a postdoc who has a lot of very cerebral topics under his belt. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into uh, what we're really here to talk about. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so put so very broadly, then I'm a scientist uh, working at a university called Imperial College uh, in London. And basically a large part of what I do is is sort of developing and using uh, software to simulate fluid flow. Um, So this kind of ranges from sort of the the flow of hot gas and ash from volcanic eruptions all the way through to sort of marine tidal energy uh, simulations. So there's a whole sort of uh, range of things I do with regards to sort of geophysical flow simulations um and aside from sort of the software development and the science side of things uh i also teach sort of an undergraduate course in uh, in python programming uh so so yeah a large part of what i do involves uh, linux 
open source software and, and software development. Uh, so yeah, right. sort of so, a brief introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, so apparently you do some uh, Python teaching while you're slumming away from the rest of your uh, <laughs> uh, apparently very uh, active life, and I. It, it occurs to me that fluid dynamics is one of those topics that is stereotypically put up there along with rocket science when it comes to thing, things in the scientific community. It's it's when anything that uh, involves a lot of chaos and randomness and uh, things that are very difficult to understand, uh, you know, rank at the top of the list, rocket science and fluid dynamics being there. And I've... Uh, See that you've written actually, or you've done a lot of work in Python for for actual work in fluid dynamics. For uh, it, it looked like actually modeling with uh, Python. Yeah, so I, I use uh, basically a Python-based language called UFL, the Unified Form Language, and this kind of fits in with the whole idea that you can sort of specify the equations that describe the physical system that you want to solve. You can describe them. Uh, in this unified form language. And then eventually that kind of gets compiled down into sort of very low-level C code um, rather than sort of the scientists having to write low-level C code themselves. Um, so that's that's kind of where Python fits into sort of my modeling work, really. Um, yeah. So the, Py- the unified form language, is that something, is that like a module or is that a class that's built into Python or is that something you've added to it? No, this this is something that's uh, been developed um, initially by I think it was uh, Simula Labs uh, in in Norway as well as a couple of other collaborations uh, internationally. Um, it's not something that, that I developed, no. But so I think here, I think it's, it's yeah, it is based uh, on Python. It uses Python as its kind of host language. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically kind of its own language in itself. Um, it's just Python based, really. All right, excellent. And I do see that we probably should talk about your most interesting project, which is um, the the Python program that you've written to collect the information about the uh, senior common rooms me- daily menu uh, <laughs> at, at London. I mean, that is clearly uh, your best work. So maybe you can tell us I, about it. I love I love the food in that place. I have to admit, big shout out to the senior common room uh, chefs there. They uh they actually do a really good job um, keeping me fed during lunchtime. There, and it's it's always one of these things. What we what we do every Wednesday, we have uh, a developers meeting, and sort of the very last thing on the agenda is what is for lunch. And I'm I'm always I'm always curious. So I thought, well, why not write a smartphone out so I can sort of, sort of check it at the end of the meeting, and then decide what I'm going to have before I arrive. <laughs> uh, excellent. I saw today that they're having duck or they had duck, I guess this is in oh, the past now. So fantastic. It's yeah. my favorite thing. <laughs> so you weren't there for that? You didn't get it? I wasn't there for that today, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's apparently too <laughs> bad. But it sounds like the menu will be just as good tomorrow, so you can't complain, right? <laughs> All right. So I guess we should move on from uh this esoterica and talk a little bit about Pike USO. Um sure. Yeah. Which uh, is something I didn't know about until probably, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. And I can't remember how I found found it. It may be something that you tweeted about or uh, someone else did, and uh, we dug it up. And we're always looking for good logging applications on this program. Uh, so finding another one uh, out there is always great to take a look at. And this one is 
nice because it's written in Python, which means it ostensibly can run on any platform that supports Python, which ostensibly is any platform, uh, because Python is very versatile and very uh, multi-platform. Uh, I was actually going to try and uh, show off my capabilities here by uh, being able to demonstrate it running on a Macintosh, but I didn't get a chance to, to get that complete, but it, it should work. Um, without too much effort. I know uh, some of the libraries that it uses, the Python uh, modules, would probably have to be built from um, the Python source and everything uh, because my installation was on a Debian-based system and most of the things that PyQSO requires to run are already built as Debian modules. So that's that's really easy that way. Uh, I have a feeling... Macintosh wasn't going to wasn't going to give it to me quite that easily but I ran out of time. Uh so do you know if do you know of anybody who's running it on a Mac out of curiosity just to start off with a weird random question? Uh I don't. Um yeah, I've, I've only ever heard of users uh using it on Linux. Um like in theory it should it sh- it should work. Um you know, it is cross-platform. Um but I've never actually tested it on uh, anything other than Linux. Uh, I myself use, or well, I use Ubuntu and Linux Mint. Um, I've also tested it on on Debian systems as well. But, well, that's uh, never anything else. That's handy for me because those are the ones I happen to use as well. So I, I like okay. the fact that you uh, that you use the same tools and everything that I do, which is you know works out for me. Um, and it also works out for the listeners of this program who happen to take our advice because they also will be using Debian or some variant thereof and therefore getting PyQSO to work will be very easy for them. But let's kind of jump back and start at the beginning. So in all this postdoctoral work that you've done and, you know, after your thesis and all this uh, crazy stuff you do with fluid dynamics. So why did you bring yourself down to the level of creating a Python based logger for ham radio? Uh, Surely you don't have enough time in your life to, to fit this into your pursuits. (laughs) Well, actually, all of this uh, started during sort of the second, towards the, the end of the second year of my PhD. Um, and so, sort of, yeah, before then, I, I didn't really know anything about uh, amateur radio. And basically, uh, my flatmate at the time, Simon, uh, Mike Six, Charlie Yankee Papa, he, uh, he basically stumbled across this video um, on amateur radio. And we both thought, hey, like that's that looks like a pretty cool hobby. Um, and we ended up signing up for like a, a course together. Uh, we we finished our foundation uh, foundation course at the end of sort of 2012, and then shortly afterwards, I started work on on PyQSO um, purely for fun. Um, uh, in sort of the the very little spare time I had, it was uh, it was just something to sort of, yeah learn a bit more about Python. Um, I would consider it to be my favorite language. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a bit of fun, really. Uh, I like In terms of the ham radio stuff that I do, it's, it's usually just sort of casual contacts through repeaters or just casual two meter, 70 centimeters contacts. And only recently have I moved sort of onto HF. Um, so sort of the, the design behind... PyQSO was meant to be sort of you know a very simple, simple logging application. I wasn't really sort of into contesting or or anything like that, anything too advanced. So I just decided to keep it as as simple as possible and sort of yeah make a very sort of lightweight logger. 
Was there something about existing loggers that you didn't like or that you didn't see that you wanted to put into yours? Or was it just basically an expression of a thought exercise to see if you could put together a logger in Python? Pretty much the latter. Um, I had tried Xlog. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's probably people out there thinking, oh, why didn't you just sort of help to debug or extend uh, Xlog? Um, but at the end of the day, I just I just fancied a challenge, uh, really, just, just for fun, just for learning. Okay, well, that's great. And uh, I'm glad there's the project out there. Ex- extending Xlog might have been, you know, a worthwhile pursuit. But the thing about Xlog is it's it's um, kind of beholden to the X Windows environment. It's not um, not as cross-platform, not as easily cross-platform as, as PyQ, PyQSO is. Um, so that's one benefit to PyQSO. Um, I do like the very simple interface. I assume you used um, a GTK libraries for, for yeah, drawing? Yeah, in GTK. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe just run us through some of the basic features of the of the application. And, uh, you know, I'm, everybody's sort of familiar with what loggers do, but uh, maybe explain how you put it together, you know, to fit your workflow. Sure, yeah. Um, so... So the back end is is based on an SQL database um, based on SQL Lite, and I have a bit of experience with that already, which is why I chose it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, there were certain tools that I found more useful, like the gray line tool and having sort of the DX cluster up there, sort of all in a very um, sort of compact space. You just sort of click on a button and there it is. You don't have to sort of go through any complicated menus. I wanted to sort of have the main tools um, that you want at your fingertips kind of thing. Um, and at the same time, like just to allow other users to sort of benefit, um, I added in ADIF uh, support just so that they could sort of transfer, you know, maybe one day they got bored of PyQSO or maybe one day they wanted to try it out. There's always that kind of... Um, cross-program interoperability um, that ADIF offers. So I I introduced support for that. Uh, Yeah. All right. So one of the features that I've noticed in PyQSO that's presented immediately that doesn't, it either isn't present in other loggers that I've tried, or it's not immediately present in other loggers I've tried, is the ability to have multiple logbooks inside your main window. So if you want to separate out, uh, digital from phone or if you want to separate out hf from vhf or something like that you can do that and multiple logbooks and uh they're all they're all stored in the same sqlite database uh so on the back end you don't see the difference but when you load your your sql file or however you choose to save it um they're they're split out in a way and you don't have to split them out you can only have one if you want uh but i find being able to split them out so that I can uh, easily see if my contact was uh, made on Echolink or VHF or HF uh, or something like that, which is the way I split them out, is is really handy. And I also do uh, some network, like for worked all states nets and DX nets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's kind of nice to split those out as well. So when I export them from the loggers that they use, I can import them into this and uh, have them split out so i know where the originals came from and everything so why yeah. did why did you throw that in um when other loggers don't seem to do it yeah i think i threw it in um really because i thought one day i, I hope to take uh, the intermediate license and it would be nice to sort of have 
um, all of the contacts that I made under my my M6, my foundation license call sign, um, just sort of keep those in the same place alongside the ones that I make on the intermediate license and perhaps one day the full license. Um, but also, um, really, my, my first radio was just you know very simple handheld Baofeng UV5R. Yeah, got it. Yeah, there it is. Um, but yeah, I, I usually just go out pedestrian mobile and just talk to people through the, the local repeaters. So any mobile contacts I make, I usually prefer to sort of keep those in a separate log to the ones I make at home. Um, so, yeah, I guess those were sort of the two main reasons I, I, I wanted that personally um, in, in my logbook program. Yeah. So to kind of move away from this, just for a second, the foundation license in Great Britain, what uh, what privileges does that actually give you as far as operating? Um, so we're able to operate on almost all the frequencies um, that a full license holder would be able to. Um, it's mainly, it, it's, its main restriction is is the, the output power that you're allowed to use. So it's, it's basically 10 watts um, on most frequencies. Um, and when you go to the intermediate, you get 50 watts, and then uh, the full license is 400. Uh, so it's, 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 main, it's main differences in the power. So you are able to operate in, uh, on HF with the foundation license, but only at 10 watts maximum? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, because I'm not sure why I asked that question. I had somewhere I was going with that, but I've already forgotten. So <laughs> let's just move on. Um, because... Um, logging of VHF contacts is something that almost no one does anymore that I'm that I'm aware of. But uh, you say you still do it when you're out walking around with your handheld. Yeah, I I have a little notebook with me, um, and usually I just sort of yeah. If I'm if I'm out and about in the countryside, uh, what I do is I usually go to the top of a, a tall hill, sit down on a bench there just for a couple of hours with some lunch, and and just have my handheld there, just talking to people, um, just just locally. I mean. Probably the the furthest contacts I've got um, on VHF is probably only about thirty or forty miles away um, from on top of this hill. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good fun to sort of chat to people locally as as well as worldwide on on the uh, the ASU uh, FT897 that I've got next to me here on HF. All right. Well, um, so I. I want to make. I, I don't necessarily know every feature that the software application has and doesn't have, but I did not see uh, any Hamlib integration. So you don't have any rig control or uh, ability to read uh, data from your your set. In well, the, there is um, there's a limited amount of Hamlib integration, so you can get it to uh, read in the frequency that your radio is currently set to. And that's the only thing that you're able to do at the moment okay. uh, with, with Hamlet. Um, that's not something that I actually use myself, um, but I just thought I'd put it in because I know that it is a very popular library and I thought that people might like that. I mean, it's it's also um, the reason why like the, the limited amount of support there is, is also a reason why uh, there's only a limited amount of support for awards tracking. I just sort of, put it in to see whether users might like to see more of that or I don't actually collect awards myself. I just thought I'd put it in just to see how the right. community um, would react, whether they want sort of more of that stuff or whether they might find it useful. Have I wasn't had, really sure. 
have you had feedback one way or the other on on either of those yeah i've had feedback from uh one user in particular um like i, I knew that uh he he would have liked to see uh sort of more awards added um so this is something that i'll look at uh in the future um again as i said like it's not something that i usually do so i'd have to look in sort of all the uh the sort of rules behind these awards in a bit more detail all right so a couple of the other features that um the program has and one of which i want to maybe touch on at length since we've already talked about it at length uh the first one is the dx cluster which is nice i love having a dx cluster built in i i talked to some folks at a local ham fest um a couple of weeks ago that i was at and they they call dx clusters cheating um but that's quite all right as far as i'm concerned i like having that information at my fingertips because even if you know that someone's at a certain place you still have to be able to work them so it's not really you know totally cheating um, but I like that it's integrated into the bottom window pane of PyQSO. All you have to do is turn it on and log into, uh, you know, pick your favorite DX cluster and you have that scrolling by as you're, as you're doing your logging, which is nice. And then there's, there's the troublesome gray line, uh, <laughs> module, which, um, when it works is a great feature. And, and it was funny because, uh, the first time I used PyQSO, I was doing some HF work and I was trying to make a contact with, I can't remember the call sign, but I think it was a Zulu Sierra in, uh, South Africa. And I had the gray line module open and I was watching the gray line, but I wasn't paying attention to it. I was seeing it, but I wasn't interpreting it. And, uh, I finally, the pileup started to dissipate and I was going to jump in and apparently the gray line went over Lesotho or South Africa or wherever it was. And his signal was gone instantaneously, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is too bad because, uh, because I had the information there in front of me, uh, to say that he was about to disappear, but I yeah. wasn't paying any attention to it. I so, think it updates. I've got it set to update every, uh, every half an hour um at the moment yeah that 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 also might be a thing i might want to uh, change in the preferences let the user decide how often they want that updated all right that might be useful but another thing would be to make it work consistently because <laughs> we still have that little sure. problem <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm honestly not sure like when i uh, logged into your machine um I, I couldn't see anything obviously wrong with the setup um as i said before like on a, on a fresh install of debian 8 um it seems to work okay but um yeah we'll, we'll need to get to the bottom of that because that's uh, uh yeah that should uh it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't just be blank <laughs> <laughs> no and, and on my other machine i have uh you can see two two screens behind me here this 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 one mm -hmm. right here um is the one that you are connected to that doesn't yeah. work uh this this one over here is uh one where it does work so oh, okay um, you know, but, and I will say, don't, don't do this folks. If you're watching this, don't, don't call up Christian and say, Hey, can you debug my machine? But he was nice enough to actually, uh, connect to my machine remotely from London and take a look at my setup and try and debug it. Um, which was unsuccessful, but, uh, I don't think, uh, I'm going to say, you know, he does not offer this amount of tech support to the general public <laughs> uh, unless you want to, I'm, I'm going to assume you don't want to do that. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm happy to help uh, wherever I can. Um, it's just the amount of spare time I have. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, gray line is a very useful feature. Um, and when it works, it's, it's very nice. So, um, we want to get down to a few more of the features. One of which is it has call sign database lookup, which is great. However, uh, you use qrz.com, which I disapprove of. I, I believe you have to work in ham QTH integration. This is, uh, yeah, this is something that's been on the wish list now for, well, actually about a year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would like to integrate ham QTH support, uh, which I think will actually be quite straightforward to do. Uh, it's just a matter of me getting around to doing it. Um, I think the reason I chose QRZ.com in the first place back when I started developing PyQSO in 2012 just was just because that was sort of the main one I I had heard of at the time. Um, But yeah, I I, I would be very interested in integrating HamQTH support eventually. It's just uh, a matter of time, really. No, I understand the limited amount of time, but it's good to hear that you're actually thinking about integrating hamqth.com. Now, yeah, there that's uh, an issue uh, on the issue tracker um, on the on the PyQSO homepage. So, if, if any listeners uh, are interested to hear sort of where that's where that's going to go, hopefully, uh, I'll update it as I sort of go along um, with the integration, so they can see sort of how far away it is and when it when it will next be uh, released. All right, that's that's excellent. But what I was going to say is, I hope that when you integrate HamQTH, that you will leave QRZ.com in there because choice is good. And what just because I don't yeah. particularly like QRZ.com, other people do. And no, uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, one thing I have noticed though is when I do the lookups on most of the call signs that I have logged in PyQSO, the the bottom part of the information where it has the name QTH and all that and stuff when uh, you do the lookup uh, is populated. However, uh, the DXCC ITU zone and DX zones and those uh, rarely, if ever, I think, populate. Is that a function of the data that comes out of QRZ, or is it because you're not reading those fields? Um, that's a good question. I am not sure if PyQSO. I think I think it does read in the fields, um, as far as I remember, but I would have to check that. Because uh, I'm I'm not sure that that information is published on every QRZ.com profile. I haven't even bothered to look at my own to see if that information is there. Uh, but I know I've I've logged probably two or three hundred contacts in PyQSO, and I don't think any of them have ever shown that information in the lookup. So, and that seems unusual if if that information is you know supposed to be there. Yeah, no, I think I think PyQSO is supposed to. Uh... Is supposed to read that in, but uh, if, if it's still blank, it, it probably means the, the user hasn't supplied it. Um, but yeah, it's something I'll have to check. Okay, now when I've been using PyQSO, I have been doing everything sort of with mouse clicks. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's the ability to add and edit fields and everything using the buttons across the top. Do you, uh, and I haven't bothered to read the help file, and that's why you're here, because I'm asking <laughs> you. You're going to be my help file. So do you have uh, keyboard shortcuts for doing any of that stuff, uh, like starting a log entry or, or anything along those lines? Yeah, there, there are keyboard shortcuts. Um, like, for example, if you do Control-N, you can start a new log. Um, I think if, if it's Control-R, it will give you uh, a new QSO window, basically a new record uh, window, which is what the... R stands for there. Um, similarly, Control O will allow you to open up the logbook file. Um, so yeah, th- there's a couple. There's a couple in there um, to help out. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's good because I like keyboard shortcuts. I, I, I like, you know, being able to use the mouse, but I actually haven't used a mouse in 20 years. I only use trackballs because <laughs> mice are horribly inefficient. But um, that being said, I love being able to just ha- kind of have one hand on the keyboard doing everything with one hand on the mic or, you know, whatever. So uh, having to use two hands for the computer operation is kind of a pain. Um, sure. Is that is that stuff documented in the help file that comes along with it? Um, it's not. No. Um, no. I mean, yeah. To find out the the keyboard shortcuts, uh, you'll basically have to go into the menu, and they should be next to the uh, the the menu text. Uh, but no, I don't think it's documented. Um, I, I I know some of the keyboard shortcuts are documented, uh, but not all of them in the uh in the online documentation do you have um this do you have a wiki or something or, or a help page off the website um other it's, than the basic instructions um, uh there's there's pi uh there's pyqso dot read the docs dot org um and yeah that really that's the only uh sort of available help uh website that i have for pyqso at the moment it's it's all sort of automatically generated using the sphinx uh system and yeah i i need to sort of uh update that as i go along really um i'll i'll provide what i'll do is i'll provide um a, a full list of the keyboard shortcuts on a separate page i think that'll be pretty helpful okay i'm looking at the documentation at pyqso.readthedocs.org and some if not all of the keyboard shortcuts are in fact documented in there so that is that's good uh, it actually looks like a pretty reasonable set of documentation because PyQSO is not a complicated program. It it really is intuitive and doesn't require a lot of brain power to get to get up and running. Uh, but there is a good bit of information here on uh, basic operation uh, and even basic install of uh, proper modules and things that you need to actually get it up and running, which is also nice. And let me take a look here under licensing. Uh GNU public license. We all like to see GNU public license. So very good there. And let's see. So as I as I roam around your your documentation page, <laughs> uh, let's see. You have. Let me just read some of the things you have here for the features. Sure. Uh, sort, sorting logs by individual fields. That's that is very nice. Not just having them in an order by the way you log them, but being able to see them by a call sign or whatever. That's very cool. Uh, printing to hard copy or PDF. That's, that's a nice feature. Uh, filtering based on call sign field, always useful. Uh, a dupe checker. That's nice. I haven't actually used a dupe checker. Where is that in the application? Um, so if you go into, uh, records in the menu, um, and then it should be remove duplicate entries or remove duplicate records, um, at the very bottom of the menu there. Um, that's one of the things that doesn't actually have a keyboard shortcut uh, yet. Does it work across multiple the multiple logbook sections, or is it only in the section you're in? It's only in the section that you're in, so you'll have to do each one separately if you uh, need to remove the duplicates from all of them. All yeah. right, Pro- probably wise because who you know if you have your contacts separated out, there's probably a reason. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I'm not sure about, though, is, is actually how long it will uh, take because I, I've never actually done any kind of performance testing with PyQ. So um, I myself, as a relatively new ham, 
only have about a hundred ish contacts um, in my log. So, and I, I've kind of tested PyQso with a with a test log of about a couple of thousand entries, and that seems to be okay. But for sort of the more hardcore users of you know tens of thousands of contacts, I'm not sure how well uh, PyQso will uh, behave there. Whether it will be super slow or well, sure. if it's if it's any if it as long as it's faster than Tusnock doing score calculation, then you're fine. Because the <laughs> the last time I loaded 95 contacts into Tusnock and had it calculate the score for the CQWPX contest, that's where I got this beard from. So <laughs> it, it took just a little while. Uh, so I, you're probably good there. And I think okay. uh, I can't remember what Tusnock is written in. Um, but I don't think it's Python. Anyway, let's see. Basic support for the Ham Live library. We've already talked about that. Renew, released under the GPL. Um, and perform call sign lookups by QRZ.com and soon HamQTH.com. So excellent. Yep. So uh, what what have we not touched on on PyQSO? Like I said, it's a fairly simple program, and it uh, has a few bells and whistles, but it certainly does not throw in the kitchen sink. But uh, have I missed anything? Um, I don't think so, no. No, I think those are the, the main features um, that we covered there. No, I, I don't think uh, we've missed much. Um, one thing I would like to add is that um, well, one, fi- one feature that I would like um, to see in there pretty soon, actually, is, is the ability to uh, have DX cluster bookmarks because I find it pretty annoying every time I, I do actually want to load up the DX cluster, I actually have to type in, the address of the the DX cluster server and the port and the username and password. So, a bookmark uh, feature there is is something that I hope to integrate pretty soon. Um, I think that might also be on the issue tracker as well. Might I suggest, uh, if not only a bookmark feature, but perhaps a drop down of oft used DX clusters for for those people sure. who don't know where to find them, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's a good idea. Yeah, because um, I I always use one, but it's I, the only reason I use it is because I can remember its uh, URL, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I would rather not have to go out and try and find another one. There may be a better one out there, um, but uh, dxusa.net is the one that I use, um, which is a very good one. It seems to be uh, very nice, um, and it's of course uh, telnet based or just uh, you know serial console based uh data transfer for that so it's very simple and very easy to integrate with other applications however if you want a really great full featured uh dx cluster application that's web-based uh and i'm kind of going a little afield here but since we're talking about dx clusters uh you should check out dx heat um and i'm I'm telling that to everybody not just you um let me see what it's uh, dxheat.com, dxheat.com. And uh, all you do is you bring that web page up and you go to the DX cluster, and it is probably one of the great, single greatest DX tools I have ever seen. I mean, it gives you call sign lookup. It gives you a highly customizable uh, DX cluster look. You can filter by band, mode, call sign, area whatever it gives you uh, a propagation heat map shows you where your signal is good into at any time on any band nice. uh, it's just 
a super super website and uh i gotta find the people who who wrote that thing and talk to them because it's uh it's great i don't think there's anything open source about it but uh for for a wonderful tool you can't you can't beat it uh i think it would be very hard to integrate into an application uh because it's very uh graphics rich and and mm-hmm. uh, has all kinds of uh back-end stuff in it but uh yeah very very nice uh i've been using that thing and actually i'm looking at the uh propagation heat map right now for europe and uh according to this europe is open to everywhere <laughs> right now <Ooh>, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh so if you want to get on hf now might be the time um yeah wow apparently I'll europe has great <laughs> yeah europe has great propagation because i switched over to north america after that um and it's showing right now a wide open to south america on six meters and wide open to europe on 17 with a somewhat of an opening on 15 and i've actually been listening to 15 meters today and i've uh heard quite a few stations uh coming uh over here from europe um i've heard uh belgium netherlands germany england turkey um all on 15 meters. So it's, it's been quite a day for 15 meters. Um, so you said you do do some HF work. So, uh, what kind of HF work do you do? Uh, like what bands do you like? What modes do you like? Um, well, it's just voice really on, on 20 and 40. Um, and that's the, for my simple setup here. Um, that's pretty much all it can manage. I, I can't manage, uh, 80 meters, uh, or with this with the setup that I have, um, I just have a very sort of basic uh, dipole in the back garden here, um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I do. What I what I also like to do is um, receive SSTV signals, um, and I for that I use um, a tool called Slow RX, um, mm-hmm. which was developed by someone in Finland, I think. Um, I think her name is Una. And it's a, it's an open source piece of software uh, developed in C, I think. So SlowRx is is another tool I use just to receive SSTV, not to actually transmit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that I enjoy doing as as well as just uh, just voice uh, SSB. Well, that's good. I'm going to have to try that one. We have mentioned SlowRx on the show, I think, once as an alternative to. Uh, MMSS TV and QSS TV, which were other applications for doing uh, slow scan. And I was actually trying to use slow scan TV or QSS TV for slow scan earlier today, but it's having some sort of issue with my uh, rig. So uh, okay. I'm going to have to try out slow RX and see if I can get that to, to work. Cause I, I don't have any particular interest in transmitting slow scan, but I would certainly be like to, you know, decode it. <laughs> uh, yeah, at some point. I think it, what I also like about it is that um, I can just sort of load up uh, any any web SDR as well and just change the the sort of sound settings on the laptop uh, and just sort of get it to feed directly into uh, SlowRx. So yeah, it's 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 a pretty nice uh, pretty nice piece of software. Good. I will check that out. So, what other projects now that you have PyQSO under your belt do you plan on working on in the ham radio field? Do you have any ideas for things that you, uh, any, uh, anything stirring around in the attic upstairs that uh, might come to fruition someday? Uh, not at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, no, I think right now I'd just like to concentrate on on developing PyQSO a bit more. Um, obviously, like we're still in 
early days um you know it's got quite a bit of functionality um and sort of it has everything that i need for my sort of casual contacts um but no i'd like to put a bit more effort into pyq so for now and uh, and then yeah we'll see we'll see where uh, things go from there um i do have a few things a few more things sort of on the list that i would like to see um so for example i know that on the the summary page that you get with PyQSO, that that's pretty bare at the moment. Um, I would like to add some sort of more statistics. There may be a graph of the number of QSOs that you get sort of throughout the year, perhaps. Um, also, Python three uh, sort of support supporting over to to Python three is something that I'd like to do eventually. Um, well, something that I'll probably have to do eventually. Um, and also some another feature that I would like to see is um, something that I know Xlog has already, which is when you punch in uh, the start of somebody's call sign, it will show you a map of, of where that call sign is uh, in the world, really. Um, just a few days ago, I actually made my first contact with, uh, with Finland. We're stationed in Finland, and I was typing in OH as the start of the call sign because I had, I had no idea where that was. Um, as, as I said, it's a relatively new ham, relatively new to HF. So I think a, a map would be pretty useful to have. Yeah. Yep. All right. Sounds good. So are you the uh, only developer of PyQSO? Just you working on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm the only developer. Um, Simon, uh, who was, again, my flatmate at the time, um, he uh, he works with me now as a, as a fellow postdoc. And he's, he's quite a, a big user of PyQSO. So he's he's helped sort of give me feedback, um, you know, give me sort of feature requests. Um, so yeah, he's been pretty useful as as well as a couple of others um, around the world. I've received uh, sort of patches, um, bug reports, stuff like that. But yeah, I'm I'm the main developer of uh, of PyQSO at the moment. All right, excellent. So it sounds like uh, you've got some development tasks ahead of you and that PyQSO will continue to improve over time. Uh, but for what you've got right now, I think it's uh, a great basic logger. And of course, it, it's not designed to be a contest logger because you don't do any contesting. So uh, if you want to use a contest logger, don't use PyQSO. But if you want a, a great, um, easy to use, simple logger that works ostensibly on any platform that can uh, support Python, uh, you might want to check that out. And I, I am personally looking forward to uh, maybe some slightly better ham live integration. Uh, the mapping would be great. I would love to see that. And uh, it sounds like that's one that you really want to do for yourself as well. Mm, yeah. So, um, all right then. So anything else? Uh, again, I always like to ask, you know, if there's something you want to push plug or just, you know, remind me that I didn't talk about or anything like that before we uh, let you go. Cause it's a little later for you than it is for me. I think you said you were uh, UTC plus one, uh, which puts it about nine o'clock your time. I think something like that. Yeah. It's about, yeah. Just approaching nine o'clock now. Um, but no, I know. I think, uh, I think uh, covered everything. Um, I don't really have anything else to add, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us about your your program, PyQSO, because I know we have mentioned it on a a couple of episodes, and 
Um, I believe you responded to my initial uh, complaint on, on Twitter, which is kind of how this all snowballed into an interview. But um, I'm, I'm glad you're willing to come and talk to us about it. We always like to have the, the people who write these these software applications, uh, particularly the ones that are open source uh, and available to the world for free and also available for uh, future development. Uh, that's That's really the crux of what we do. And uh, it's always nice to talk to the people who are really at the heart of, of those applications. So thank you very much for being here, Christian. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Well, we're going to let you go. And then uh, we're going to roll this video into uh, the rest of our next program. And uh, you'll hear yourself there. And, of course, this will be published on uh, YouTube as well, on our YouTube channel. So thanks, everybody, who uh, watched us live. And... Uh, we will uh, let Christian go, and maybe we'll hear some updates from you in the future on the progress of Pike USO. Yeah, sure. I'll keep you updated. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Bye now. Bye. All right. There we go. Interview with Christian Jacobs of Pike USO. Uh, thanks again, Christian, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you again soon about uh, updates to the Pike USO program. So. Uh, everybody should go check that out. It's at christianjacobs.uk slash pyqso. All right, and thanks, everybody, for listening to our interview with Christian Jacobs. That's c.jacobs10 at imperial.ac.uk for more information. We want to thank Christian once again for spending some time with us and telling us all about himself and all about PyQSO. And if you want to check out any of that information, Links will, of course, be provided in the show notes. And also, please check out our website. Our website is http colon stroke stroke lhspodcast.info. You can become an ambassador of the show. You can visit uh, our website to find out how you can do that. Represent us at a local ham fest or Linux con somewhere near you. Uh, you can email us feedback at info at lhspodcast.info. You can also leave us voice feedback at 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. You can find us on IRC on the Freenode Network at Pound LHS Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to our mailing list. The link to that is on the website. You can even buy show merchandise and help support the show. CafePress.com and PrintFection.com slash LHS Podcast. Uh, you can also help the show by clicking the sponsored ads down the right-hand column. That doesn't cost you anything except the time it takes to click on the links. Listen to us live every other Monday night, 8 o'clock Central Time. That's 0200 Zulu, early on Tuesday mornings. Our recording schedule and our countdown timer are located on the website, as is all the information you ever wanted to know about our program. Thank you to all of our listeners live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate every single one of you. And we hope you'll tune in in a couple of weeks' time for our next episode. You have been listening to episode number 146 of Linux in the Hamshack, and for myself, Russ, K5TUX, for Pete, V2XPL, and for Cheryl and the rest of the crew here at the show, uh, I bid you adieu, and hope to see you again in a couple weeks' time. Bye-bye!